0: I remember reading about um, George Carmack. I think this was in in a book called Masters of Doom.
1: Have you read this book? Uh, Yes. Uh, I think you mean John Carmack. What did I say? George.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hi, and welcome to another episode of our podcast where we talk about Rust
1: and Rust-related things. So, what have you been up to, the the previous week, I have. What is it this week? I mean, I don't know. It's always a challenge figuring out the right terminology for this, um, <laughs> since we end up. I don't even know what day it del- is. Delaying oftentimes. a uh, the release by a day, you know, because we're we're editing and doing show notes and stuff. I, I don't know what what I've been doing for the previous seven days, whatever you want to refer to that as, um <laughs> uh, has been a little bit of since our last. What have you been up to since our last? Podcast. Exactly. Let's there go we go. Uh, I uh, I wrote a new uh library porting a a. a a hash uh, implementation called CityHash from uh, it was developed at Google uh, to Rust. Um, it was written in C originally, and it was kind of designed for um, what they what they described as being uh, optimal for modern CPUs. And uh, what that means to them is that they designed the algorithm in such a way that um, they tried to have multiple ma- independent math operations on different values because modern CPUs are constantly trying to parallelize instructions, even. Though you know technically our programs are bytecode that's supposed to be written, you know not written uh, executed uh, in sequence. CPUs actually have these whole you know uh, ability to look at the upcoming instructions and go ahead and decide actually we can do these three instructions in parallel. And so they wrote this hashing algorithm that's inspired by Murmur and a bunch of other stuff because um, there's like primitives in there that that come from those algorithms. Um, that uh, yeah, when I ended up porting it, it has no SIMD instructions. It's just pure you know just regular kind of uh, bit wise math type stuff um, just a straight up port uh matches the the c++ performance pretty closely in that in some situations i'm faster and in some situations I'm a little bit slower but it's all within nanoseconds sort of thing so i was really happy with uh with the result of that um, so uh, i went ahead and published uh, that it's not a f- complete port it just uh, is a port of the 32 and 64 bit um hash implementations because it felt like those were kind of the most uh, useful for the Rust world um, since uh, the default hasher trait um, or the provided hasher trait, I guess, uh, from Core um, returns a U64. So it felt kind of weird to port the 128-bit hash. Plus, it's not actually a cryptographic hash, so it should only be used in certain circumstances. And it feels like 128-bit width hash is just kind of overkill for a non-cryptographic hash. So I just kind of skipped those for now. (laughs) Um, But that was a a one-day diversion from from a Uh, from a user one of my database crates um, who was uh, hypothetically asking if this hash might be better than CRC. And I I ended up deciding that it's not. Um, So I'm going to keep CRC in the... So after after all that work, it turns out that the answer was no. It's not
0: worth it. I'm going to inject the question into this. What what was your experience porting C plus
1: to Rust? What was that like? Um, so, uh, a lot of wrapping ads and wrapping rap- moles. <laughs> should I um, so, laugh be, be the, the answer? I mean, uh, this code is literally just a bunch of math operations, right? So it's it's it was very straightforward. Um, but the the problem is is that in Rust, um, the the plus operation and the multiplication operation uh, in debug mode will uh, check. And Crash if it overflows, um, and so you have to replace all of the you know just simple math operators with dot uh, wrapping mol for multiply, dot wrapping add for add uh, to make it actually perform the way that the C plus, uh, C code did. Um, so overall, it was very straightforward, other than just. Accidentally missing a lot of those little things, or you're you're going too fast and typing a wrapping ad instead of wrapping all in a couple spots, and then having to track that down later, <laughs> you know that sort of stuff. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't wasn't too bad. All right, excellent. All right, so what else have you been up to? Uh, I've been uh, continuing to work on GUI a bit, um, and uh, we also uh, we we've been. We talked a little bit about how I was very passionate about um, potentially, uh, you know, investigating doing a different Reddit replacement. Um, and uh, you and I kept talking about it off and on. And, you know, I just really wanted us to make a decision. So yesterday, as we started chatting, I, I asked her, like, are you sure you, you want to do this? Because we were thinking it might be like a, a bit smaller of a project to tackle than an actual full game, you know, that sort of stuff. So it allows us to, to work together on something uh, a little more bite-sized. And we started talking, and then you, and then we got a little distracted by something uh, with your TUI project and then I started pulling up my GUI project and we just kept chatting about three hours later (laughs) I reminded you that we were originally trying to figure out whether we wanted to do this other thing and I I realized that the fact (laughs) that we got distracted by three hours of talking about our GUI stuff kind of seems that uh, to to point to us being uh, a little bit more passionate about uh, these projects than than writing a Reddit replacement so uh, we have tabled uh, our hypothetical um, other projects um, so we are we're gonna keep focused on uh, on on our a uh, game being our, our first project. So with that in mind, I uh, started futzing around with um, with uh, uh, WGPU and WinIt again um, because I wanted to take a new stab at designing a cleaner API for Cludgeon uh, which is my 2D graphics library that wraps WinIt and WGPU today. Um, I have been inspired by another crate that off the top of my head, I can't remember the, uh, the name I'll link, link it, uh, in the show notes. Um, but it's a combination of the cosmic text crate and a, um, and, uh, an atlasine solution so that it like puts it all in one. And there's basically just three APIs to render it. In, in, to render text in any um, WGPU-based application. And I like how simple that interface is. And I would love to allow my uh, 2D graphics library to be used in any other WGPU application just by using the similar type, you know, three, you know, new prepare and render <laughs> type API calls. Um, so I've been trying to figure out what that new um, shape of what Cludgeon looks like uh, might, look, uh, might be. So uh, what have you been working on? Uh I have been on i've been on a holiday
0: for the better part of the week, which has been very nice uh we went to a cabin by the sea and uh, there was wi fi so obviously no one sort of gone stir crazy being there but it was very nice to sort of just have a laptop and um and be away from everything and just spend days and days thinking right so so it was it was very nice um i was um, I was there from from I don't remember even which which day we got there but but what happened what happened I got to tell you an anecdote what happened so so we went there and uh, and I was having a conversation with my wife about you know so when when I go to when I go to a place like that you know it, maybe you you've gone to a, one of those like hotel apartment things when you have like a kitchen and everything I kind of always <laughs> I always clean everything before I use it right so I grab like pots and pans and and all that stuff I'm gonna use it and I clean it because i'm not i like I, just, I was like oh maybe the people who were here before weren't that thorough so they have an air fryer there and and um we're gonna make some potatoes and I's like and I grab the air fryer and and I lift that little lid and and I see a speck of like a speck of dirt it's not a lot right and and I sort of just shove this in my wife's face and I' be like look at that you can't you can't trust them, and her reaction was was absolutely mental. She 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 had that like look of utter disgust in her face, and she took a step back. and, and I was like, "Oh, calm down! It's a bit of dirt." And then she she very sort of, very high pitched tells me that there's a massive spider in there, and I kind of just shoved the spider in her face, ball <laughs> wipe. Right? So um, so, so so after after I, I you know after I repented. For my God! I took the spider outside. The spider is fine, but uh, but it was, uh, and I kind of had. Like, I put my hand in there. It's like that's like, but but I can't show the wife that I'm equally <laughs> freaked out by this <laughs> gross thing. Anyway, spider is fine, um, and and uh, and so and, and we had potatoes in the end. So all nice. all is well. But it's it's been so nice to just sit in a chair, a comfortable chair, and um, work on my cold without the rest of my life in sort of in there. Um, There was no streaming happening. There was very little activity on Discord, and whatever was happening was related to what I was working on to some degree. So it was just super productive. And I remember reading about um, George Carmack. I think this was in in a book called Masters of Doom. Have you read this book? Uh, Yes. Uh, I
1: think you mean John Carmack. What did I say? George. (laughs) (laughs) George Carmack, the inventor of flu. All right, so... (laughs) Yes. Okay.
0: There, there's John Carmack. Sorry. Okay. I don't think I don't think John Carmack listens to this blog blog. <laughs> this podcast. I thought, I, I, thought I was the I one waking up. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> I'm half asleep. Anyway, I don't think John Carmack listens to this podcast. Is what I was gonna say. But uh, I think there was a section in this book talking about how he would sort of just go to a hotel. Bring his computer and just sit there and work, right? Without all the distractions and everything. Um, and it reminded me of that. And I got so much. I finished basically every single widget. I wrote nice test cases for all the widgets and, and a bit of, you know, helpers for, for writing tests and, and make them very readable for, for, um, anyone who kind of comes after me and, and looks at this stuff. They should be able to see in the test what the layout basically looks like. So, so there, there's, I did that and I kind of, I got to the point where I'm now gonna deal with the values, right? So we've talked a lot about reactive values. You're doing reactive uh, values for your uh, GUI library, for your for your GUI GUI library, right? Um, And I'm kind of like I'm a little bit like, what what am I gonna do? And what? what, Why? And we 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 should have recorded yesterday's conversation, right? We could have made three podcasts out of that, (laughs) because I was like, that was three hours of talking about this stuff, right? but but it, it it I realized when when I was, I was waiting for you to tell me some kind of magic phrase that would make everything fall into place. But instead, I just realized that the way you're doing things with the single component, and 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 I'm not. I realized how you've made a very sensible choice, <laughs> and I have not. But um, I think I need to keep my. I need to keep my setup the way it is because that's kind of how it's s- supposed to work. I want I want this to be in a way that you would like people who are familiar with like changing changing HTML templates and and the likes and, and customizing that way. I want people who know that to be very comfortable just diving in and modifying things. There's not a lot of magic or anything in there. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to have to work around the reactivity uh, that, I, that I simply can't get because I, I have not uh, allowed myself the same kind of set.
1: Well, I think the, the, so the summary of of what the the difference that we realized we had yesterday was that um, inside of your template, if you have one element or three elements um, inside of like the, you know, else block of an if statement, for example, um, mm. that ends up in your system producing three actual widgets in wherever that else statement was contained. Whereas in my system, if such a hypothetical template language existed, <laughs> which it doesn't, mm. um, uh, it would, that else block, or really the entire if block, would be responsible for producing a single widget. Um, so there's always just one thing there. That's what you, you were referring to, um, and this this is, stems from me actually building a true like tree where uh, when you end up um, containing widgets within another, you end up having to box at some level. Otherwise, it would be a recursive structure, right? Where uh, you know it would contain mm. itself um, potentially because you you know if you can if any widget can contain any other widget, you know you're potentially going to be able to create infinite loops that way um, if you're if, Not right? the, the infinite size type right? exactly. So you end up. Um, Whereas in your approach, you actually have uh, essentially a VEC um, under the hood that kind of keeps track of all this stuff. Um, and so you you just literally put the three things in that vec in the sequence um, and you kind of keep track of where those things are in sequence um, for that particular, you know, rendering cycle or whatever. Um, and so there's benefits for yours in that you don't need as much memory. There's probably less allocations overall and some other stuff like that. But it also makes some things very complex, <laughs> Whereas I'm just I'm just taking uh, you know uh, the the hit of always having those allocations those boxes there um, and you know uh, and and just saying that's that's good enough um, the other philosophy that I have there is that um, to me when you give three elements back um, in some ways you need to tell it. What the layout of those three elements are um, in yours, you kind of have the context inferred. Whereas in mine, I would like to say that those three elements are, you know, laid out as rows, columns, or a table, or a flex widget, or something like that. Um, and so, like, it's just a it's just a different philosophy on how that how it gets tied together at the core level, I guess.
0: I think one of the advantages of doing what you have done is that if you ever have to assign IDs to your widgets. Since so you're returning one widget, you can simply just swap out the the widgets but retain the ID, whereas if you suddenly inject a series of widgets into an existing, in the middle of a collection of widgets, you can't depend on the position in the collection for the ID, sort of. You, you can... Uh, but then the ID doesn't exist as an actual ID on the widget, but rather its location becomes an ID, and then when you're gonna do any kind of diffing, you need to track the mm-hmm. attributes of, of the that was previously at the location, right? And that might not be a bad idea. I mean, maybe as I'm saying this out loud, maybe maybe that's one way I can get my uh, my performance out of there, right? So but to be to be perfectly um fair about the whole thing, I could just regenerate the display tree. Every single frame, and it's not gonna be that expensive. I think I did a tree with eight thousand widgets in it today, and we're we're still pretty pretty decent when it comes to performance, ish, right? I mean, I wouldn't want to run an application like that, but but it would be a lot better if you don't have to rebuild the tree. Obviously, if you can just do modifications to an existing tree after you build it once, um, which, which which actually goes against what um, Rafe Levin wrote about on on his when it comes to asylum, where he generates these view trees that he then just keeps around for diffing for the next frame, and then he kind of throws it away right so it would this would kind of go against that a little bit and and his writings has been uh, a confusing inspiration to to <laughs> choices I have made though so i don 't know if i 'm going to deviate from the from the path there when he 's already done a lot of the, the heavy lifting when it comes to to figuring some of these things out maybe it 's time. Um, time to do that right?
1: yeah it is really fun reading some of those posts because they uh um you know there there are certain types of uh bloggers out there um who are experimenting with uh just really interesting ways to tackle certain things there's people who are exploring guis like rafe uh rafe there's also uh or raf um uh, i'm not actually sure which which is the right pronunciation i'm so sorry i think it's short for for, for Raphael, right okay. but i don't know if it's yeah, I don't, you
0: know, I don't know. I don't either.
1: Um, I we'll link to his blog, uh, specifically the most recent blog post. Um, cause I'm pretty, well, the most recent gooey blog post that I'm aware of. Um, uh, cause I'm pretty sure we're referencing the same one. <laughs> I think it might have even been linked on a previous episode, even. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they, oh, possibly, possibly. they have just a, such a different way of thinking about things. Uh, sometimes that, uh, it really helps, uh, even if you don't end up copying what they've done. Um, you know, just hearing another approach really can, can, uh, help shape your own, uh, you know thoughts on your own design. Um, I mean, it's the same reason why I'm exploring the the reactive version of GUI instead of what I would consider the more traditional approach. Which you know, I I, I still have some Archimutexes in certain locations. Um, they're just in such a way that you don't really notice them anymore. <laughs> Whereas in the old system, <laughs> you would actually have to like lock widgets to talk to from one widget to another, and it it was it was annoying. Um, so I'm I'm very much uh, you know happy to take inspiration from the people who in, in the ecosystem who are trying interesting things. There's a lot of uh, cool stuff around like air handling for example uh, exper- experiments on on how to improve that moving forward that sort of stuff.
0: And that is that is, uh, that is a one of those things that I have to tackle somehow because when you're when you're taking over the terminal to do your drawing in there you you can't really, you can't really uh, prints out your error messages anymore. You, you kind of have to. So once it's up and running, if something kind of errors out, there has to be a way of, of dealing with that, right? So that's, I'm guessing you have sort of a similar situation with a GUI as well. Like you can, you can show a pop-up message, but if that's not relevant to a user error, that's more of a <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> runtime error.
1: Uh, then it becomes a little bit awkward showing that message box. No, like, I,
0: oh, there's a runtime as a result of
1: something. One of the things I was plumbing up this morning, I technically didn't finish it up, but I realized that that was going to happen was that I was going to have a situation where I have two threads talking to each other and uh, one of them may not respond in time. <laughs> um, and so I need to have the actual app thread, keep processing. Otherwise, you know, the rest of the windows will also hang too. Cause in this uh, model, I have one window per thread, uh, sorry, one thread per window <laughs> is the right way to say that as well as a, uh, a main app thread that does the actual event loop. And so they're all talking to each other via channels. And there's only a couple of spots where they truly need to synchronize um, in such a way that the app thread has to block waiting for the window to respond. Um, and in that situation, I, I get to just log to the console saying, hey, it didn't respond in time. <laughs> um, because really, the only person that's going to care about that is a developer or if the end user is experiencing something with their app. It at least be nice for them to see. Oh, I'm getting this a- a message in the console that the developer might be able to. Okay, now I understand what's happening. Your your redraw loop is taking too long for whatever reason. Um, but uh, but yeah, with you you in the terminal, you don't really have another location because you don't have that separate window. <laughs> so yeah, I I kind of I, I kind of thought as you were talking about this,
0: I was wondering like what if what if I should make this kind of debug uh, like doing a debug build with some flags enabled, you can have this sort of d- d- debug window pop up. We can even evaluate expressions at runtime. So so um, we, the scope is growing significantly as the podcast goes on. Well, in theory, like, you might be um, able to
1: pipe stood out to another file and tail that from another window um, as another workaround and just always log to stood, stood air instead or something like that. Um, I don't know. But I was I'm I'm thinking like you you know well you know
0: the terminal in in your web browser the sorry the console in your web browser you can you can sort of pop it open and and you can even evaluate JavaScript in there so you can write you know query selectors Mm and 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 all these things right to 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 do various sort of explorations and now I'm kind of thinking should I could I should I make a (laughs) terminal. Uh, a little console where you can you sort of start debugging your, 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 it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be too bad. I, I had a plan of adding, um, evaluation of expressions, um, as well. So you can write simple things like uh, declaring a variable and doing math ops on there and the likes. And then maybe, maybe on top of that, right, just, just writing, um, you know, some, some kind of, uh, Concept. This is very interesting. This w- it would be super helpful when you're sort of playing around with something, especially if you can you, like move things around. As well. All right, right now this the scope the scope is going too much. Right? <laughs> I gotta I, right this will this will be a sort of version 0.3. Then this will probably not be in 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 this thing. I gotta solve the the important things first. Right. Um, speaking speaking of solving Im- important things, right? Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about planning software, right? Because there there are There are sort of like different, uh, I don't know if we talked about this before, right? But there's, when you're, when you're sort of a solo developer on a project, you, you have a lot of uh, liberties, right? Of what you can do. If, if there's multiple people in the project, you need to have a plan, you need to have planning meetings, you need to agree on things and, and you're going to write things up. You probably have some kind of project management software. Um, out there doing whatever trello, whatever people use, right? So you have something like that. But when you're alone on a project, do you have some kind of approach to how you build your projects? Like what do you what do you start? Do you have a little ritual almost to, to what you do?
1: Cargo init. Which is funny because I said that the other day to someone else and they're like, Don't you mean cargo new? And I'm like, no, I always use cargo in, And I still can't remember exactly what the yeah. difference between those two commands are. But um, <laughs> So no, other than uh, than initializing the directory, um, I also go to thesaurus to try to find a name for the project. Um, you know, <laughs> all the important stuff. Well, naming projects are hard. <laughs> I think I could start reading
0: out the, the names in my temp directory for things. So every time I go to sort of explore something and then something in my temp directory, and the names are usually very long and very stupid. And I go back and look at it and, and I had a project called Lifey. I had no idea what that was for. I think that was like demonstrating lifetimes in lifetime inheritance to, to, to someone. And and I had and and I had something called VM stack V S C valve something. And I, I had no idea what these things are, you know, but but yeah, yeah. Naming things naming things is very hard.
1: Right but now. no, I I'd say that in general, um it, it it depends on the project. So right now, the Cludge and Rewrite, um, you know, I've kind of carved out from my memory of what you know I needed from the previous Cludge um, as as kind of a, a, a harness and. You know, um, I just started building, and um, I do what I like to call compiler-driven development, which is the the Rust compiler just keeps spitting out errors and warnings about different things, and I just look for the next one that seems relevant to what I want to work on next, and just start you know chipping away. And then when I finally get to the point that there are no errors and warnings anymore, um, at that point I have to take a, take you know a step back and be like, okay, what's what's the next step, right? Um, and so you know, once I have that initial shape of a project sorted out, um, then there's kind of the next stage of planning because it's a little usually more green fields after that because, you know, the initial chunk's done. Now it's how do you finish it up. And it just really depends on the size of the project. Sometimes I don't need a to-do list, sometimes I do, and I'll start just making a to-do list inside the readme, um, you know, and then slowly over time, once it becomes a project that I've actually, like, getting ready to release, that's when I start using stuff like GitHub issues to keep track of those things. Instead, um, you know, this is purely talking about solo project development. If you and I start working on something together, mm. um, I'll be, I'll be moving stuff into issues way sooner, sooner in the process. But you know, if I'm just <laughs> working on something in seclusion that I'm eventually going to publish, um, you know, what I described is is kind of my flow. What about you? Um, well, I, I've been thinking about this a little bit
0: and and we've sort of been talking about this on stream as well, right? Um, and uh, I did realize. That I have not set my Discord into streamer mode, so I'm better gonna turn off all the notifications here. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so yeah, the the, uh, the 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 basically distilling something down to its smallest component, right? And I um I basically t- use this as an example. I talked about this day, and I said if you if you're building something, if you're building something as uh, say a multi user chat, right? So you're going to have um, a connection, a client, and you're going to be able to send messages to everyone there to build only the bare minimum that you need to actually see this thing. And, and I, so instead of coming up with, you know, message encoding and, and packing messages together and content length and codings and all these things into the messages, and just make a new line delimited message. And that way you can use something like Netcat, as your chat client while you're developing and basically just stripping things down to its bare minimum. And and then when you have that, you can sort of get a, a, a perspective of what is this thing missing and and can I actually build on this thing or is this thing just showing me what I shouldn't keep doing and, 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 and that kind of thing, right? So when it comes to planning software, uh, I try to just make the smallest possible thing that I can do. And then usually I end up almost throwing it away the first time and doing it again and there's so many things that I can write in my sleep at this point just because I keep throwing things away um and doing them again right but uh, yeah no that's uh, that's um that's sort of a, my my approach and then of course I do I do what you do I put the to do in the readme but then I think about this right I, I always I always think about my my git messages my git commitments. I think it's what if someone ever goes and reads these things and there's like my typos in my to-dos and there's like their terrible tasks in there that makes no sense. They made sense at 3 a.m. when I wrote it kind of thing uh, and, and these kind of things, right? But but yes, yeah, so, so, so I do put things or I used to put things in the, in the readme. I haven't done it for a while, but then again, I, ha- I realized that I haven't worked on a new project for a very long time. I kind of look forward to, to, um, to starting something fresh soon. Um well, then we, so, should, so, yeah. we should get on something? The, well, <laughs> but yeah but yeah exactly we should maybe, maybe maybe we should get on with it, maybe we should stop building some um but um do you know the, so so um uh one of the things one of the things that we talked a little bit about um we talk about like development life and 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 all these things from time to time, right and uh And one of the things that, that that we talked about was I mentioned I mentioned the worst piece of software that I ever worked on, right so I was going to say and, and and I don't think that this client is listening, but I was doing <laughs> some work for a client they They wanted me to build Facebook apps, and this was the first time I kind of heard about facebook's apps, uh, sorry Facebook apps right um. I'm, I'm tripping I'm tripping over the words as per usual, but, but Facebook had this oh, we got apps now they, they they weren't apps, they were just like javascript web pages and 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 that right, but they wanted me to build this um uh, facebook game where you would you'd pay real money to get facebook currency and you' play these kind of slot machines or whatever it is right that and 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 you win. I don't know what you win because you, you like you can't get real money back out again, right? You just get the, the Facebook magic currency, right? And um, and 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 doing this. And I think this is one of the worst things I've actually worked on. Some aspects of it was fun. It was the last time I wrote um anything with uh, Windows Communication Foundation, right? Uh, that was the last uh, last last bit of work I did with that, and that was kind of. That was kind of fun to work with, right? And and, and I say oh, fun to work with, but it involved, like, writing Windows services and, and all these things on top of that, right? Um, this was in the early day of of, of Azure, the... the their hosting thing, the cloud, the the Microsoft cloud. And I'm sure. I'm sure everyone knows what that is, right? <laughs> I don't know if I go into detail. So that was the worst thing, probably, that I've worked on. Um, this this side of 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 the millennium, right? So so what about what about you? What's the what's the? And I don't know if you have one and if you can talk about it. So if the if you yeah if you don't have one and you can't talk about it. So no, I well, mean the I don't the, the, want to hear the, the story. reality
1: is is that the way that I'm going to couch this is I think something that's completely understandable even for people that I used to work with is that it's also related to facebook (laughs) Um, (laughs) i uh back in uh the 2006 to 8 range um i worked um on a small team like i want to say that our engineering team was like 10 to 15 people um who ran one of the largest ad um uh, networks on Facebook before Facebook had ad networks. Um, we were the ad providers for like Living Social and a few other people um, back in the day. Um, and so when I say that, that obviously does not sound like something that I would proudly proclaim uh, when I go and you know uh, talk to the friends and family uh, you know over the holidays. You know, hey, what do you what do you work on these days? <laughs> well, you know those ads on the Facebook games you play. <laughs> I deliver those <laughs> the super scammy ones that ask you to you know uh, to get an IQ. Test to compare yourself against the fake <laughs> scores that are shown for your other friends. Yeah, I helped make those things. Um, you know... <laughs> the stuff that Facebook eventually cracked down on because it was so misleading and, and scammy. Um, yeah, I really, I did not like working uh, there for that reason. Um, the technology that I built, I loved it. Uh, I, I literally got hired to build a, uh, what looked like an English-like language um, that allowed uh, marketing people to write targeting rules for different ads so that when they wanted to run new ads, they could actually have programmatic control over like, you know, this bias of showing, you know, three of these ads for every one ad of these, that sort of stuff for different age groups and different demographics and various things. Um, you know, how it worked was really cool because it actually like compiled down to a DLL and got hot loaded and, and runtime and everything like that. So it, it was very efficient. Um, and it's been so long, I can't remember the, 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 you know, the scale, but it was insane. Um, it was thousands of requests per, per minute per server sort of thing, um, all being aggregated on local SQL, uh, instances that are then getting, uh, replicated and aggregated into a central, uh, cluster. Uh, it was it was an operation to to, to put it lightly, uh, and it was I learned so much, and it was so fun building the technology, but I could just never feel proud of telling people that's what the technology was powering. So that's that's what I that's a, that's the uh, the worst thing that I that I worked on. And That's fair enough. I to be to, like I, I I like the
0: idea of of these kind of DSLs. Now I know we talked about DSL in the past, and and we kind of tend to come up with. DSLs can be, the the drawback of a DSL is that you're kind of making someone learn something that is bespoke for a system. And every time I have to learn something, if it's not going to exist outside of the domain I'm learning, I get a little bit like I'm wasting precious learning brain cells (laughs) on digesting this information. And when I walk out of here today, that information is practically useless, right? So, but but at the same time, there's a lot of funny things, a lot of a lot of cool things we can do with these cells, right? And not just not just um, you know having a language, an English-like language where where you can describe things that's easy to to consume for for someone who's not necessarily um, have a, a strong focus on on tech, right? Uh, there are also visual languages like uh, like these node-based languages. Um, where you kind of draw this graph up and, and you can sort of see the flow. I always found that a little bit fascinating to be able to observe a system. Maybe, I don't know if you've ever written uh, a shader in in, in Blender. Now I haven't, but I've seen them <laughs> and they look really cool. You got, this, you got this kind of input that you connect to, to or you have an output, you connect to an input somewhere else and, and you can sort of see this thing being built up. And I think that's very, very cool. Um, even though I wouldn't want a predominantly program or like, I wouldn't want my main language to be um, a, a visual scripting language at all, right? Not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, I think those are those are like very very cool uh, to have in a certain scenarios. Like if you're gonna automate things, that would be probably quite nice. Like like you're gonna control a bot or something, and then you'd have these kind of like you connect. Um, some message input, and then you have all this like different uh, widgets you can sort of drag out for how it's gonna respond to things, and maybe it's gonna send an email, so you connect it to that, and like a whole whole thing um, that, you, that you can do, and then you can just sort of you can see this whole thing. It's very easy to to observe this thing, whereas with um, a bunch of text script, then you can uh, you sort of have to go and, and look through all the code. You can't just look at the function names and and, and sort of. Or um, well you can, but you, you're going to end up looking at the, the function bodies as well, right? Yeah. So I think scripting languages and DSLs and, and all that, they,
1: there's definitely a place for it. And they are... That very, very I do just want to uh, to, to point out that our, our usage of DSL is domain-specific language. Um, there, there are other definitions of DSL for non-programmers that uh, do not apply to our conversation we're having right now. Um, I say that only because yes, I, the first, first uh, time we talked about DSLs on the podcast um, a few episodes ago, uh, I had a not-quite-as-techie friend who happened to check out that episode, and they apparently just couldn't stop laughing when we were talking about DSLs for a while without saying what the they actually were because of uh, just the, the, the unintended cont- uh, uh, context. Um, it was the unrelated thing, too, is that it happened on another podcast, too, uh, that uh, they, they mentioned this anecdote just shortly after we aired our podcast, too. So that was kind of funny. Oh, <laughs> so- <laughs> But I,
0: I personally was talking about the 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 DSL, the digital subscriber line. Oh yeah, like yeah, the, yeah, of the, course, yeah, the yeah, connectivity yeah. Thing, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay, that no, that makes sense. You know what? You, you you're right. Um, I I should have been a little bit more.
1: No, um, I think specific. most of our, our listeners should TLAs? know what I, a DSL is because they're programmers and it's not that uh esoteric of a of a thing i just uh since we had that on the previous episode and i had this weird anecdote i i felt like i'd share it um but yeah don't don't go searching for that if you're near you're, you're at work um or something like that uh you know make sure you spell out domain specific language instead <laughs> so the, you you say that most of
0: our listeners are 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 are, are technically minded people i think that's true but, but but as a matter of fact my kid actually found our podcast because it's on on Spotify. Mm-hmm. And and i went and checked it out on spotify and then it leaves it there on 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 the, on the front page right and my my kid um, uh, opened up spotify and there and there it was and she she, so she started playing it but then she heard my voice and went, <laughs> you boring dad and then she just turned it off that's great so, so not all technical minded people this. i thought that she would get a kick out of hearing her dad on spotify <laughs> oh you know you know what funny thing is my my um i i once sort of my my wife is very musically inclined mm-hmm. right she used to be uh she used to sing in a band and and do all sorts of things and, and she has a great voice um and, and so when she yells at me, it's kind of a, a fearful delight, right? It's very musical. You haven't taken the dish. No, okay, it's not, I shouldn't do that. Okay, we're going to get banned from the internet. But, uh, but it's, it's so, uh, you know, uh, so we did this thing that's like, should we, should we try to get something released on, on Spotify just for fun? I mean, anyone can do it, right? Mm-hmm. You, there's no, you don't need a record deal as far as I know, right? You can just, uh, you know, um, release your music there as far as I know. And uh, and I like to make music, right? I play around with with uh, with uh, anything from Logic Pro to to Bitwig and and uh, um, and, and the various. I, I've played a little bit with Ableton, but I'm I'm not particularly good with it. Uh, but we used to make sort of like music, and and as with everything, when you make music, it's really easy to make like the first four bars or whatever, and then the start and the end of the song is like the hardest thing, right? <laughs> Um, but we, so we kind of said like maybe we should like do something for fun and like, get it onto into Spotify and then of course life happens and, and we didn't do anything of it right but then, then I said to my wife I said look I've now got something on Spotify right this very, and she looked about as impressed as you'd imagine <laughs> when, when, when someone talks about the Rust podcast to non-programmers uh, right but, uh, but it was a little bit of a okay that's it I've, I've done something I set out to do a long time ago even though technically it's not music but it is on and spotify um I, I you know i did i did a, I did a, um a um i do do these predictions right sometimes on stream where i say something and then we do a prediction and and sort of a yes or no in, in this case right and and i said uh, i was i was working working with wgpu today right and and because you mentioned you've been doing this as mm-hmm. well so i've been exploring i've been trying to learn uh wgpu and and there's so many concepts in there that i kind of have to sort of try to figure out what's a swap chain what's uh what's the pipeline um how does that work to run the pipeline and, 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 the, um, you know, what's the command buffer and, and all these things, right? So, so I've been sort of like messing around with this stuff. And, and, and I I took notes as I was doing this thing. So I kind of did like the, the, the setup step and I listed out all the things we have to do, the, the win it step of getting a window and event loop, the WGPU instance, service adapters, logical devices, compile shaders, all this, this whole thing. And then I wrote some stuff for what we're going to do in the run loop. And then I did a prediction that says, are we going to get a triangle on screen? And everyone said no, right? No (laughs) one believed. And, of course, the program crashed. It crashed with a timeout because I had set my present present mode to FIFO, which I read was supposed to be the same as VSync. And I thought, you know, VSync going to be the safest thing to not have tearing. Um, but I did, I did, I did, a, I did a heinous crime. I didn't unwrap, and it, un, I didn't unwrap an error with a timeout. But for for a split second. A triangle flashed on screen before it (laughs) crashed. So, so technically, um, I I I awarded a prediction to 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 the people who said yes. I think it was like one or two people (laughs) who who believed in me in this whole thing. Right, was very satisfying to do as well. Right, Uh, but I did see uh, a triangle. Uh, sort of just just appear for 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 a couple of microseconds uh, until the timeout error have you have you run into this timeout error by the way Uh,
1: no well maybe but not not in this particular iteration of messing around with it yet but I, i haven't actually started working with wgpu in this iteration i've only done win it so far so when you run uh the app that i finally got compiling this morning uh you get a window that continues to show what was on the screen before it launched, which I just thought was kind of, uh, you know, I realized this morning is, is this, is this actually um, a very low key way to get, potential private information off of a computer with an unprivileged application um, on Linux, at least um, with X 11. If you just launch a new win- window window, um, it seems to have what was underneath it um, in the buffer. And I'm curious if you can somehow read those bytes, uh, you know, do some OCR and pull off whatever data was uh, previously on the screen without ever having to, you know, have X ex- Q, you know, permission to read from the entire screen buffer, which actually might be, you know, completely open anyways. I don't know. Um, But yeah, I I was just kind of, yeah, but that aside, that aside, I mean, obviously if you have that level of control,
0: you, you know, but, but that's an interesting thought, right? Maybe you could read the screen buffer, and 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 just grab uh, effectively, you you take a screenshot. Maybe maybe this is how we take screenshots. It might
1: now. be like I, I you know it, it's the the reality is that as I said that out loud here on the podcast, I was realizing that I don't actually know if, if screenshot privilege is a thing. Like you know, I kind of assume that you, you know uh, someone in the Linux uh, uh, ecosystem at some point made those things capabilities or something somewhere, and it might just be that you know by default all you know all users uh, nowadays have that permission or whatever but I am kind of curious whether or not you can lock that down um, to prevent you know full screen screenshots um for a user or not to avoid that privileged um, access or not but anyways that's a that's a rabbit hole that's not actually related to Winit or WGPU <laughs> uh, the, the long story short is that no I, I have not currently encountered that timeout, but it is most most certainly because I just haven't actually started using WGPU yet oh so if I, th- 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 that was my mistake I
0: started using WGPU and everything's been going yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. since then I, I do find graphics programming th- this is a world that I don't normally live in right the, the graphics program space has so many different restrictions and constraints you you're limited to that tiny as far as a computer is concerned um you know 16.6 milliseconds is an eternity but if we then start adding a lot of things on top of that if you, if you were to do it single threaded at least, right? Like you're gonna, you're gonna draw the word, you're gonna, you're gonna load everything. But well, I guess you, you would have like preloaded a bunch of things and then just dumped it on the GPU. But, but either way, th- there's not a lot, uh, when it all comes down to it, right? Those, those 16.6 milliseconds. Uh, so there's like a restriction that we don't have in a lot of other spaces, right? Um, when, when you, if you, if you're building a website, the 16.6 milliseconds is, is not a thing, right? I think around 100 milliseconds, People start to, to notice and, and then of one second then people are getting angry with the page
1: load time, right? But but 16.6 for sixteen point six milliseconds for people who minutes. have no idea about graphics prog- programming at all, they might wonder What's the significance of 16.6 milliseconds? And that's a very good question. 16.6 milliseconds is equal to 60
0: frames per second. So you can draw 60 times in, 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 um, in a second. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that's what 60. So I'm, I'm really bad at this. And I thought I was <laughs> the one who, who kind of uh, um, who, who, uh, who knew about the, the you know, was, was pointing out all the the three letter acronyms and and <laughs> magic words and stuff and now I'm I'm guilty all the way to Sunday of making these terrible assumptions but, but but yes and and that is really difficult there's a lot of things there's a lot of optimizations that's come to be over the decades when it comes to graphics programming and I'm sort of starting um from from, from nothing, I'm looking at all this stuff and, and, and I had the same experience as you did when you spin up a window with Winit. If you haven't drawn to the surface of the window, you're going to get nothing. And, or, or rather you get what was, what was underneath the window basically what was previously there. Um, and, and, and all that, right? And then you, you know, you're going to find, you're going to get the surface, you're going to draw to this thing. And there's so many things. Involved in this thing, right? I had no idea what a swap chain was mm-hmm. until um, you know some days ago, and I still don't really feel like I'm. I I, I can say that a swap chain holds a bunch of images.
1: Does it? this is pan- so. so here's the thing: I don't actually know, and I I am I'm curious where this experiment's going to go because I haven't written it yet. Um, but I I posed the question to to another friend this morning too, and they they. They think that there's a way to do this. So the, que- the what's this is is the is the question. So um, I part of what we want to do with GUI potentially um, is uh, create this uh, system where controls are cached uh, or double buffered ra- rather, which means that you know if a button draws uh, once and nothing changes about that button and the entire window has to repaint for whatever reason, um, instead of actually calling all the draw operations for the button again, we redraw the previous rendering of the button. Um, and mm. uh, you know, part of what I would love to do is also optimize not repainting the actual window except for areas that need to be updated. But that's where this whole swap chain comes into play. Um, and there's a bunch of different settings for how the swap chain uh, actually works with the present mode. There is FIFO first in first out. Like you pointed out, there's also specific ones that have stuff to do with like V sync. And there's also, um, uh, anyways, there's different ones and they kind of describe how they, like there's an immediate one, which basically just only uses a single buffer and immediately presents it as soon as it can with the risk that if you miss your target for, let's say that you're a 60 Hertz, uh, 60, you know, frames per second display. Um, um, if you miss that mm. 16.6 milliseconds timing of being able to present your frame, you're going uh, to have you're going to have you're going to drop your frame rate probably to 30 frames per second because you're going to end up presenting every other frame because you're you're not able to present fast enough. And so um, and possibly screen tearing. As exactly. Well. Whereas if you use the non immediate present mode, um, you're going to have multiple buffers there. And so instead of waiting for the GPU to be done presenting the current buffer before you can start rendering the next buffer, you can start working on the next buffer. That's where my question comes in, is that if I don't want to repaint the window and I'm using one of these multi-buffer flows, does my new buffer that I get back from the swap chain contain the existing contents or do I have to manually redraw what should be there because I have to worry about, you know, that buffer not having the current data, Um, from my understanding or hope, uh, I will still have the existing data in the buffer that I get from the swap chain. And that's just, a, you know, the fact that it gets copied behind the scenes is just a an implementation detail. But until I write the experiment, I actually don't know how it's going to work. I
0: honestly don't even know what the definition of an image is in, in this context. I, I'd imagine that it is a series of bytes that can be interpreted uh, as per... The image format given, whether this is the the four bytes for RGB, uh, red, green, blue, and the alpha value, right? But there are so many many settings yep. in in this. I think the the way I think about this is that that you're not you're not programming G- anything with GPU as much as you're configuring your GPU through a, a bunch of descriptors and then. You had like this little bit of code that is that is doing something repeatedly, which is like the rendering code um but everything else is just this massive setup of of configuration, and what all these configuration options do. Is that's what's overwhelming to me? There are so many different, um, like, uh, like uh, um, what's what's the this, this depth stencil right? yep. uh, I think is, is one, there's like.
1: different blending modes and yeah, there's multiple stencils. Uh, there's not just depth. There's color I think too and other ones like there. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of crazy stuff that I don't actually know either. The, that's the that's the uh, that's the fun part here is that I know just enough <laughs> to get this working, <laughs> but I really don't know. Um, the best practices for a lot of these and some of the, the way that you use the stencil buffers for various things. Uh, you know, I think, I think there's ways to use uh, certain ones for like shadows and occlusion and a bunch of other stuff. That's really useful. Um, I personally just don't need them for a lot of the 2D scene rendering stuff that I actually care about. Um, for, for, for the stuff that I'm trying to build. Um, whereas, you know, if you're building an actual 3D thing, uh, you know, it's, it's much more important for calling and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, it's, I prefer to stay in the land of 2D graphics, which still when programming with WGPU is not the most straightforward thing in the world, but you can kind of like, ignore a lot of stuff when it's at least 2D because you know you're not having to worry about actual depth values and stuff like that. See, I think
0: 2D is better than 3D, right? I, I If you look at things like The Legend of Zelda uh, uh, that, that we had on the Super Nintendo and the Nintendo, and then we got the, the N64, version. And now some people think that's that one's better, um, but they are obviously wrong because the graphics are terrible. The same thing happened with Simon the Sorcerer, this amazing sort of pixel art game um, that came out. And then they did a 3D version of it. And I, th- I think people kind of, they, they deny that this they even exist, right? <laughs> like, no, no, it is not 3D, Simon. Okay, it doesn't exist. Right? Um, I'm joking, of course, with the Zelda game there. Um, but the, I do, I do like that sort of 2D has this more of a um, a clear style to it than than 3 3D, right? I think 3D requires so much more. Well, well how, like, it requires a lot more of an investment when it comes to getting like nice scenes, and you got to understand the lighting mm-hmm. uh, and, and and all this stuff a lot more right um and there's a there's a lot it's a lot more involved i don't think anyone would would deny that it's a lot more involved to get uh, the world of 3d i think that third dimension really makes uh, a a big difference right so i'm I'm with you on the on the 2d stuff and especially if we're talking about a, a gui Right, it kind of makes sense to go to 2D, right?
1: I was going to say, you know, the 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 reality is is that 3D is so complicated that I would happily use someone else's engine to do the rendering. Uh, so the uh, yeah, uh, the, there's there's one really cool one that um, uh, I, I remember from when I used to uh, attend the Rust game dev meetups called Rend Three. Um, it's uh, written by one of the people who is a a, a pr- pretty prolific maintainer of uh, WGPU, um, and uh, I wanted to link it uh, in the Show notes because uh, it's a pretty advanced rendering engine that's built on WGPU that um, uh, has a lot of support for it has some uh, I guess visual benchmarks if you want to call them that uh, where they're like scenes uh, that you can compare with uh, you know what it looks like in you know like uh, I don't know if it's actually what it is but Unreal versus uh, um, versus the engine that uh, Rend Three so you can kind of see where they're at progress wise from a full featured scene uh, compared to what they have implemented Um, and it's. It's actually really impressive already.
0: That I, have, I don't know if I've seen that. I, I think I've seen it a while ago, like a long time ago. When uh, when I think you did a you did an episode of Rust Game Dev on on Twitch, didn't you? You asked yeah uh, you answered a bunch of questions and, and did some talk about that. So I think it was
1: roughly around the time. I've also seen Fireux. I think that's one. Mm-hmm. Which looks, if I remember right, that one doesn't use WGPU but uses OpenGL instead. But it's also really impressive. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So o- OpenGL is obviously a very, very different
0: beast than than WGPU, and um, because it's like it's a it's a thing. It has been around for a very long time. It depends heavily on global state. and I don't think WGPU does. I don't. I don't really know how it works under the hood. But you certainly don't feel like you're you're dealing with a bunch of of global state when you're working with it and I think that's very very nice
1: right no I I think it's designed that way um, from the ground up Um, the other caveat with OpenGL these days if you care about Mac support um, or iOS support um, is technically OpenGL is deprecated I don't know how they're ever going to get rid of it as an actual API layer. Like, I don't, I just can't imagine Apple yanking OpenGL support from their operating system and browser. Just don't <laughs> see it happening. But technically, it's deprecated there. And so, from that reason, is one, one like, <sighs> It, that's one reason why I think that WGPU's approach is, uh, is, a, is a nice way to go for rendering in, in Rust versus OpenGL. OpenGL is incredibly portable, but there's that like, looming, like, technically it's deprecated on a platform. And um, for that reason, I tend to like to, these more modern APIs, the, the ones that got designed uh, to kind of solve some of the shortcomings of OpenGL. Now that you're diving into the world of
0: WGPU, and I'm drowning in the world of WGPU, what's your... What's your approach to learning, right? How are you gonna How are you gonna learn the various concepts? And do you do you have a Do you have a plan?
1: Well, so for me, a lot of it's re-implementing what I already had. So there's, uh, it's it's more like relearning what I already knew. <laughs> um, so th- like, what's nice is I have this existing code base that works. Um, and so I'm going to be able to reference it and you know copy and paste certain things that are like, yeah, that just might as well just copy that. That's exactly how i going to re-implement it. Um. But at the same time, I'm trying to... Uh, fit a different API surface you know try to try to mold how this works in a different way and so I may encounter different things uh, ultimately um, when, uh, um, WGPU has a big folder of examples um, and that's often where I go digging to see how things actually work because the documentation is okay it's pretty good honestly uh, overall but because I don't understand the concepts themselves very well um, I mean some I know a little bit better than others but some I just really don't understand at all. Uh, it's way easier for me to go see an example that I know is working um, and try to model my code after it than it is to try to necessarily figure it out by, uh, you know, going and figuring out what they mean by certain terms by Googling it or something like that. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, what, what about yeah. you? What's your general approach to trying to learn these things? So,
0: my thought was I get something working and I now have the, the infamous triangle on, on, on screen. Uh, so now it's kind of a you know pick one of these things and start trying to figure out what they do uh, like what like the swap chain right so so from from the description is it holds images so you can get an image that's going to be presented or rendered I don't remember the terminology and I'm sure someone out there is listening to this and and, and, and rolling their eyes at this point right. So I don't I don't I don't know. that's is just gonna, gonna pick some of these things and just start trying to figure things out. I guess really the next thing I want to do is to to draw some kind of texture on screen, right? Mm-hmm. Just to see if I can I can do that. And and uh, so um, I lied a little bit. I said that I didn't really know anything about graphics programming, but I did tinker with OpenGL a little bit in the past, and I remember using was it instance rendering for doing things like tiles and the like. So you you kind of have the instance um, um, render there. I don't know what the equivalent would be in WGPU. So I probably want to figure that out. If I want to do something like a tile map, um, because for some reason that is always my Mm go-to, right? The tile map... It sort of promises a large world right um so so compressed into a neatly organized array and then so that was kind of my my thinking maybe maybe um see if i can figure out how to do something something like that mm-hmm. right uh yeah I, you know what i think that's probably all that we have all the time that we have for uh for today that was good. all right thank you all for listening Yeah. thank you have a good week